episode of Grange TV. We have with us Mr. David Roberts, DJ and musical extraordinaire. Um, Robert Whitaker, UFC middleweight champion, all-round good guy, and very, very special <laughs> guest, um, Mr. Pat Farmer, uh, former uh, federal uh, member of parliament, motivational speaker, and uh, ultra-endurance runner. Thanks, mate. That's nice. Sounds good when you say it like that. I think once we get the stories kicking, I don't think uh, my introduction will have done you justice, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you want to kick anything off? Or yeah, I've been itching, itching, itching to ask some questions, mate. Um, and it's about running, funny enough. Sure. Funny enough. I, uh, I have experimented with running in the past. Yeah. And uh, I guess the biggest thing is, it's like, how, how, do you, how do you run for so long? Like, yeah, it's, well, it's hard. Yeah, but Rob, you would know it's all about um, it's all about having a goal and then working towards that goal. It doesn't matter what sport you play. Once you get to that elite level, we're all the same. You know, we're all it, it's it's the, you know we all have our unique techniques that we we need for our particular sports. But the drive mechanism, the 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 you go from being a normal person in the street through to your game face and, and your game position so that comes down to the dream and what you're trying to achieve in your case with a particular fight my case with a particular race or a run uh, and even if that is a long long way away uh, you know I can I still focus on the finish line I still imagine in my mind I still imagine myself in a successful position crossing that finish line and thousands of people cheering me the reality is often there's there's not that that many people around and often uh, you know it's not as glamorous as what I have in my mind but that doesn't matter what matters is you hang on to the dream you go for the dream and the dream helps you achieve the reality that you're after I've got to ask so with with endurance running that that's obviously great distances mm. correct um, how, how would you how would you train for like what, what, would, what would a training session be before be the, in, in fairness for people that don't know the distances we're talking about is not three laps of uh, Kiriwi Oval <laughs> yeah. uh, we're talking about so Pat so some cross country yes yeah, so cross country so, so it's like to South Park. yeah so it's like I'll, you know, I'll go the to whole I, distance I'll, around I'll Australia I'll, I'll go to a school and I'll speak yeah. to the school kids and I say okay kids put your hands <laughs> up how many of you have uh, do cross country and they all put their hands up you know they do school cross country I go what what country do you cross? And they all put their hands <laughs> down. <laughs> and, so, and then I say, well, you know, like I've, uh, I've run through, I've run the length of Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, and Palestine, run the length of Vietnam from Chinese border right down the southernmost point, uh, a little place called Nam Can. Uh, I did that for the International Red Cross for clean water projects in their country. Uh, the other one was to try and get a message of peace through to the people in that country and try and help Westerners understand the Middle East a little bit better and understand what that. What year did you do that? What uh, year was that? Uh, uh, so I've been running now for more than 35 no, years. But what so year did you run through the so Middle East? So the Middle East was um, just before the ISIS, uh, the ISIS crisis, just before uh, Syria. In fact, I wasn't allowed. I was supposed to go into Syria, and I wasn't allowed to go in Syria. It was just when that that whole thing was beginning and the refugees started coming over the border from there so they shut off all the borders uh, so that was uh, what was it four or five years ago now so and then and then just a couple of years ago or three years ago I ran the length of India from Kenya Kamari southernmost point a little pointy bit down the bottom into Maldives so from uh, Kenya Kamari to Kashmir so right up to the base of the Himalayan mountains 
That would have been uh, fun. And uh, that was about 4,700 k's. Uh, you know, I've also run, as you mentioned, uh, briefly mentioned, you know, through the Americas from the North Pole to South Pole. So getting back to your question about, you know, how do you train for something like that? Well, yeah, um, I used to live out in Campbelltown. People would see me dragging tires or up and down the hills at the back of, out the back of Kentland and uh, around the streets and that sort of thing. I'd be dragging tires and I started off with one tire and ended up with three tires to try and simulate dragging a sled along. Uh, because when I went through the North Pole after I was dropped off by Russian helicopter, I had to drag a sled with my gear in it, all of my gear to sustain me, uh, which weighed 100 kilograms. I had to drag it from there through to Canada. So it was approximately 850 kilometers. Uh, but the earth at that part of the world is moving, you know, well, the, the, ice, the ice cube that floats on the ocean is moving all the time. So the, real, the, the distance is 850 kilometers, but the, the field that I'm running on is moving all the time. So you end up doing a hell of a lot more distance than that. So it took, uh, you know, 39 days to get across there. And get out, get out of there. Were the roads, or did you have no. to use the snow boots? Like the no, no, no. I, I use snowshoes. I use uh, snowshoes with uh, with the claw on them. I had to watch out for polar bears and s everything up there wants to eat you. you did know, you so see polar bears? Well, yeah, I did, I did. But you have to go through just at the end of winter. If you go through too far into the new season, then the polar bears, all the young ones are out, and the mothers are, are hungry as can be, and you know, it's, eat you. it's very yeah, yeah, they'll eat you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything's trying to survive up there. So, so you know, me dragging a sled is easy prey for a polar bear. So, it was incredibly cold. Temperatures got down to minus 40, uh, uh, minus 40, minus 45 degrees. Which, uh, just to give you, you know, all, all of your viewers a bit of an idea of what that's all about. The freezer where the chickens are kept in the supermarket is minus seven. So, so <laughs> minus 45 degrees, I walk past the supermarket when I'm doing my grocery shopping and I pat the chickens and say, don't worry fellas, you'll be alright, <laughs> it's not that cold in there. <laughs> Jeez. But, so Sorry, I digress. <laughs> no, um, so how, would you have a crew with you, like, um, like try, ghosting you? Yeah, I had a guide, I had a guide with me, that particular run, I had a guide who was an experienced, uh, um, experienced, uh, in that part of the world, both at the both poles, the North Pole and the South Pole, and I had a cameraman who was also experienced in that part of the world. And it's most important with these things that you get the best possible people around you, just like you would have. You've got your trainer, you've got your you've got your team around you. Yeah, I need somebody like that. But um, we needed a cameraman because I had a contract with Channel Nine at the time, and uh, we promised them that we would relay back film footage, which in itself was a nightmare because it meant that we would set up a tent at the end of the day, I'd set up a tent at the end of the day and I'd put out some solar panels on the outside of the tent because it's 24 hour sunlight there. Uh, and then I'd plug those into a computer and we'd try and download 60 seconds worth of, worth of, of footage for the Channel 9 for the Today Show the next, you know, the, the next morning. My contract I had to, was I had to do that at least, at least once or twice a week. Uh, and that would take all night, like almost eight hours to download just 60 seconds because of where we were, the satellites coming in and going out, and of course the extreme cold. Mm. You know, so trying to keep batteries charged in, in that in that cold environment, that's why solar batteries work so well. So yeah, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, but at the end of the day, it was about 
dragging a damn sled that weighed 100 kilos. I only weighed 49 kilos by the time I came off the ice and I hit Canada. How heavy are you normally? So no, my normal, my race weight, my race weight is 61 kilos. When I'm 61 kilos, I'm fast. Uh, um, but my weight going into that was 75 kilos. So I lost a lot of weight, even though I was, you know, I was trying to survive up there by eating as much as I possibly could. But the food I ate was dehydrated food that you would melt snow and ice in, add the, the water from the snow and ice to it, and then you were able to have that. And then, of course, on top of that, then I survived on just um, olive oil uh, and noodles, you know. So, uh, and the noodles were dry noodles that you would just and crunch away on. Yeah, so I lost, well the olive oil doesn't freeze up very much and it's high, high in fat content. So it's about getting that fat back into your body. So most of the creatures up there, the seals, the polar bears and all, are covered, their body's covered with a layer of fat and then they got, then they got skin over the top. Well, you know, when you lose a lot of weight, you lose that fat content first. So the extremities of the cold really set in bag. And just to give you an idea, it's like a blowtorch. It's that cold, it burns it burns so you need to make sure you're completely covered uh, so that's three lots of gloves three lots of clothing thermal underwear all the rest of it balaclava is the whole deal and then you try and drag a sled in that thing and drag try and drag a sled through and it's not just a long it's not like a snow trip where you just drag along nice flat snow it's like a junkyard up there because the ice is, com is is smashing into into other icebergs and it's reforming it's like a junkyard of ice all I the time I it's melting and reforming i imagine the arctic circle would be similar but i know in because you went all the way to well Pacifica that was that was the well. arctic circle and then but the south pole is easier the but the wind, the wind is crazy too down there, isn't well it? Well, the wind, yeah, yeah. The 100 kilometer an hour winds most of the time, most of the time. Down south. Yeah. yeah, and north. Yeah. And north, yeah, yeah. So that, those, end, those extremities of the, the planet are just off the Richter scale. And yeah. that's why it was such an amazing feat. Would you, like by the sound of things, like you, like the goal was to run, but it, it sounds like you'd be almost slogging it through half You're not the time. That's that exactly. No, the, go <laughs> the, the goal the goal the goal was to survive. So there was areas like Mexico, Colombia, Ecuador, Nicaragua where I ran like a man possessed and I ran like a like an Olympic athlete would run because I needed to make up time. So I was doing 100 110 120k a day back to back to try and make up for shortfalls of time uh, that I'd lost up in the North Pole. Yeah, so that's day after day. There was no days off on this journey, by the way. Even when I went to the South Pole, we flew across to the South Pole from Argentina, from, uh, uh, from Ushuaia, uh, but that flight was only a five hour flight. And as soon as I got off the plane, uh, you know, it was a Russian Antiloft plane. As soon as I got off this cargo carrier, I, I slipped straight out the back and started my, my journey again. And so I would rest in every 24-hour period, but I had to run in every 24-hour period as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go. No, no. Oh, well, I was just going to say it's the because that world record hasn't been ratified eh, because of the f the flights and whatnot. Like to me, it's a world record, and my take my hat. Ah, uh, well, look. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, it's not it's nobody's fault. I, I haven't bothered getting any damn thing ratified because I, I like. Simpson Desert, run around Australia, yeah, you know, up and down, well. uh, up and down Sydney Centre Point Tower. You know, 101,939 stairs, uh, a world vertical record. There's all these records. Uh, um, you know, the athletes around the world are forever contacting me, saying we want to have an attempt at this, or we want to, 
you know we want your information because we want to try and do this or can you can you tell us how to go about this or how to go about that or whatever for whatever events they're doing so they understand they know what i'm going yeah. through so we don't have organized bodies in the ultra scene like like we do in a lot of other sports uh, I'm on the cusp of being a, an athlete adventurer, to be quite honest with you. So it's a bit of it's a bit of things rolled in together, and because we don't have organised bodies setting up tournaments and events and races for us, we do to some degree. But with a lot of a lot of these really like first off things, it's more like Hillary climbing climbing uh, um, Everest than it is about than it is about. Um, you know, this is all the countries of the world come together for a festival and then competing in an event, a running, a running event. On on that, so just like to segue because you're saying more of an adventurer or yeah. an ath athlete adventurer. One of the things that so going through places like the Middle East, sort of volatile, uh, Central and South America on the top on, on the top of South America, areas that are like politically and like militarily volatile at at, yeah. at, at the best of times. Um, how did you organize the logistics like with the military with the local police like because I imagine that you would have had to do that well I was very lucky I, I was a successful ultra runner before I went into a political career then in 2001 I was asked by the Prime Minister of the country John Howard to uh, run for the seat of MacArthur for a federal seat uh, and I ran in it and I won it so I became I became a federal member for MacArthur I became a uh, Sec for Education, Science and Training, Shadow Minister for Sport and Youth, and Federal Spokesperson for Western Sydney. Now, what that really meant was that gave me an entree into the ambassador's doors of uh, countries around the world, and that gave me the political recognition. So I, when I travel to these countries, I don't just travel as an athlete, I also travel as an ex-leader uh, um, of the country, ex-federal politician. So that that gets me a lot of cut through so you know everybody here in Australia knows how hard it is to organize a fun run you've got to get roads shut down you've got to get police support and you've got to get SES on board and all the rest of it and councils on board so you could imagine doing that for instance with the pole to pole 14 different countries so many different jurisdictions so many different languages but the cut through was the political clout so because I was doing the, the this event and many of the events I do are for worthwhile causes, charities or, or um, for worthwhile um, um, organisations that are recognised worldwide. So that gave me the ability to be able to get to the leaders of those countries and say, I need your support and the support I need is I need to be able to run on these roads. I need to be able to get through these areas. I need to be able to get through the Darien jungle. I said that to the Panamanian uh, government and uh, they have a, a military force which is combined Panamanian and also Colombian and they are special forces that patrol the jungle, the Darren jungle, because it's a gateway for drug runners to take drugs up into Central America from South America and it's a very dangerous place. When I went through there uh, in 2000... Because you're going through yeah. places that are like the yeah. kidnapped capitals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when I went through there, there and also parts of Mexico was one of the most dangerous places in the world. Uh, but I had this military support as well. What kind of military support are we talking well, about? Well, I had 19 armed soldiers go with me through the Darren jungle and we cut our way through there with machetes. You know, and we had to stay in the thick of the jungle because if we went out into the open, opening, we would have been sitting ducks So uh, for the terrorists. So, so we, were in, uh, we were in there and we lived off the land. Can uh, you talk us through this? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, basically what happened was the, the 
the Central American government w combined, you know, combined so that's like everyone from Mexico through to Panama, um, um, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Nicaragua. Um, they they wanted me to continue my journey, but they were worried about me going through the the, the Darien jungle. So they said, no, we're not going to allow you to go through there. Uh, and I pleaded with, I got in touch with our ambassador in Washington, who was next um, leader of the Labor Party, Kim Beasley, who was a good friend of mine from Parliament. And Kim contacted the Mexican government, said, look, this guy's come all the way from the North Pole. He has to complete this journey. Yeah, any land mass, he has to go on foot. So, um, you know, can you please, can you please help him some way? And they had the discussion backwards and forwards. The next morning, this truckload or two truckloads of army personnel showed up and it was um, the, this combined, specialised combined force from, uh, from Colombia and from, uh, from uh, Panama. And they, like I said, they had the rifles, they're all in, the, all, all in their army outfits and they said, we're your chaperones for the, Simps uh, for the Darien jungle. And so from there, we, I ran down a dirt trail and we said goodbye to the mainstream media and, and headed on into the jungle. And from there, we lived off the land uh, for the next uh, five days until What's I was handed off over. The land? Well, it was like we ate green bananas. Green bananas were, that were cooked on a fire or heated up on a fire in the evening um, uh, to make them soft enough to eat. Uh, coconut water, coconut. Uh, um, we would boil, boil up water or just or use purification tablets for the streams and the water that was there and so drank the water that was available to us. Um, uh, one of the guys, these are all experts at living off the land, so you know, one of the guys would go to these streams and he had a little bit of line and a little hook on it and next thing you know he'd, have, he'd catch enough fish, he'd have enough fish for, for us to all to eat. Most of the time we ate that fish raw because we were worried about having big fires or fires at certain times because we would be sitting ducks for people that wanted to get rid of the, the, the military. But we also had scouts on the outside of the camp whenever we'd stop to eat that were looking out for us. So, so you were very much sneaking through the jungle. Yeah, we were sneaking through the jungle. That's exactly right. You know, so, I mean, it was exciting, exhilarating. It wasn't necessarily running as such that you would picture on, a, on an athletic oval or out in a park or whatever, but it was but it was getting from point A to point B in the fastest possible time, as safe as we possibly could under the conditions that we could. And we worked d day and night to, to achieve that outcome. And then that was a link in the chain for the rest, of the rest of the countries and the rest of the run. And that's what the whole thing is. And I've always said that my, my running is, is really just about being a link. I'm a link between people on the ground. Just like you as an athlete are, you bring those audiences and those crowds through into the ring, you help them to experience the the trauma, the life, the the determination, the dreams that you're you're trying to achieve within the ring in that moment, and you're taking them along on the journey with you. And that's all of us as athletes. That's what we do. We just try and bring people along on our life journey with us. And it may be a game of cricket. It might be a game of a, you know football or soccer. Or it might be fighting in a ring, or it might be running, or you know skiing, whatever. Uh, but it's still it's still about showing people that you can achieve your dream, that you can you can make something of yourself, that you can get from A to B. Sometimes, if you even if you've got no legs, you know, I've been inspired by people like Kurt Fernley, and you know, Kurt Fernley didn't inspire me with his Olympic performances. You know what really hit home to me 
when Kurt Fernley did the Kokoda trail on his hands because he didn't have legs and you hear all these tough men talk about how difficult the Kokoda trail is and how muddy it is and climbing up some of these mountains and you think about somebody doing that on their fists and moving their body along like that and you think my god you know one inch at a time this these these guys is something superhuman about these people and yet they integrate like you do as well integrate into a normal life into normal family life and normal home life and normal social life and you just get about your day like everybody else does we do our grocery shopping same as everybody else but you take us out of that environment and put us into a caged environment or put us into a, the wilderness and that's when we come to the forefront that's when we draw on these inner strengths these inner abilities this these reflexes these 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 all the things that we hone our skills towards with all of our training whether it be dragging tires whether it be punching a bag whether it be, you know whatever it is uh, and and that's when that's when we're elite that's when we're different and that's when that's when people can go he, he, there was an ordinary person just transformed himself as soon as they stepped in the ring like you do what, one of the one of the big things on that you know when you're talking about the stuff that um, really draws attention to, to it one of the things that I learned about you just doing was you raised your two children yeah, 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 yeah. After your oh, my wife died when uh, really when sorry, she was yeah. very young. Yeah, well, no, most people know my story. My my wife died when she was quite young. I was quite young, and uh, we had planned to do this run around Australia for the Centenary of Federation, and it was going to be my last run. I'd already raced across America from California to New York in the Trans American Foot Race twice, and that was covered by sixty minutes. Uh, I'd already run four Sydney to Melbourne races. I'd already run. New Zealand and many other countries or different places of, of the world and many sorry, other races. I just want to ask you something. It just yeah. came to my mind and I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you used to run like in the 80s, late, late? Yeah, with Cliff Young, the old Gumby No, no, but, but in Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like used to run in Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, because I lived Man, I remember this. Yeah. Because I remember, like, I remember. You were probably a kid at the I time. I was a little kid, yeah. and I used to remember this guy. <laughs> making me feel so old. <laughs> no, I mean, but I used to, I, I remember it. That's when, yeah. because we were talking about that, but then you spoke about it, and I was like, I remember the, the guy. Yeah. My dad used to say in Spanish, because we speak Spanish, he goes, ahí va ese loco corriendo, which means, there's that crazy guy running. Yeah, we loco. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we used to I see I know the word loco. I hear that all over the world. We used world. to see him running <laughs> all the time, but, yeah. but like, really, really far, yeah. like, like uh yeah i would go down uh, you know training run for me would be from wollongong back up mount usley and back into campbelltown you know so that would be that's training that'd be a training run yeah but you used yeah. to run into in through to liverpool as well yeah 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 because yeah. i remember yeah all the time yeah sorry you myself Murray taylor uh, mark Labwell, uh dave taylor yeah it was about four or five of us um kevin mansell and we we're all training for the old for the old sydney to melbourne race which was a great race decent prize money and it was um it was a thing that put running in Australia on the map because runners came from all over the world to compete in what was considered as the toughest foot race on earth. That was the Sydney Melbourne Westfield run. Yeah, yeah, uh, I remember. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great run. It was a great run. So you, you, sorry, you, you were talking about so that with your, with your. I have, to, I have to jump in still. Yeah. I have to. I'm sorry. You would run from Wollongong. Yeah. 
from to to, to where? Campbelltown. No, yeah, from so Campbelltown to Wollongong yeah, and then yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would be my Sunday, my Sunday run. That's your yeah. training session. Yeah, it'd be a training session. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, so you're coming back up Mount Oosley, and and Great it was funny because my, <laughs> myself and Dave, because the trucks, drive. well, the trucks would be coming up, and we we used to really try and serve it up to the trucks that we'd be in the breakdown lane, and we'd try and beat the trucks up the hill, and you were already pretty worn out from the run down and that sort of thing but you just found something extra within yourself and, compete with and the we trucks. were <laughs> competing with the trucks trying to ra race up did you ever beat the trucks uh, on occasions on occasions wait for yeah. those people who don't know like <coughs> Campbelltown to Wollongong is like what 70 k's oh look it's about no it's about about 35 k's is about 35 k's Campbell? yeah it's about 70 kilometer round trip okay so, so it's a, a 70 train. kilometer round trip yeah on good on train, train yes yeah, that's my same that's that was my Sunday Sunday run, my hard run. If I run for longer than 25 minutes, mm. I hate myself. Because I'm just, I'm just on the road and I'm thinking and talking to myself up here and I end up hating myself. Uh, what, what goes through your head when you're making these these training runs, but they're, 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 they're 70 kilometers? Yeah, but it's, see, it's horses for courses because, you know, you're, you're working to, you know, whether it be sparring or in the events, you know, uh, two minute, three minute, four minute rounds. You know, you what you, you you know. So your yours is explosive energy, and it's this and that. For me, you know, my goal is a long way away. So I have to put in the hard yards and the long yards, and I have to get my mind into a zone where I'm just a machine, and I'm like those trucks I was talking about going up Mount Oosley. I'm this diesel engine, and I'm just going to be at a constant pace, and I'm going to go boom, 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 and every single step is going to be perfect. My shoulders are going to be back. The oxygen coming into my lungs with every breath is going to be the same. Inflate the balloons, in which I call my lungs, to the same, you know, to the same capacity with every single breath I take in. And so long as I stay constant and irregular like that, I'm just going to, I'm just going to bulldoze my way through this this training session and through the race as well and through the event as well. So, so I'm like this diesel engine. When most athletes are like, uh, um, are more like. A Ferrari and it's get in smash it get out get in smash it get out get in smash it get out and so it's just horses for courses but but somewhere along the line in the the race of life we need a bit of both you know we need that that we need that speed that di that dynamic speed for you know crisis situations you need the fast reflexes for this or for that when it when it happens but you also need to be able to go through life is Life is a journey and it's a long journey and you need to go through the ups and downs of life. You need to be able to cope with, with the humdrum of, 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 uh, of things being regular and consistent and all the time. So, But it would be very meditative as well. Like it, is, it is, but the funny thing about it is the successful people in the ultra scenes, whether it be triathletes, swimmers, long distance runners, cyclists, etc., etc., that do the, the long stuff, the successful people even though these are long distances and even though it is quite humdrum and it is about that consistency and it is that diesel engine they still have a spectacular picture in their mind which is every bit as much as powerful as a hundred meter sprint in their mind of what the finish line will look like or what success looks like to them and in with a lot of my runs success wasn't what you would picture the gold medal around your neck or a prize purse being handed to you or standing number one on the podium and everyone yelling out your name Success would be going back to a hospital ward and seeing these little kids that were dying because they didn't have clean drinking water or whatever and knowing that they were happy, they had smiles on their faces and things were happening like that. So 
success is different things to different people, you know, and, it's, and, and that was my trophy. And that continues to be my trophy and that continues to be my driving force is, is knowing that, that the pain I put me through prevents somebody else from, from going through even greater pain. You know, you know what really struck me then, um, hit, like hit home for me just then when you were talking was that you said that like life is the journey. Mm -hmm. You know, there are times when you've got to be that Ferrari and you've got to hit the line, but then you've got to also be able to come back and become the diesel mm -hmm. and just plot along. I, I guess like for me, that was always the hardest part was like coming back and just going each day as the diesel and just, you know, Going back to normal life, yeah. so it was, it was it so is, hard. It is so hard, for, especially for people like yourself with a profile like that. Because yeah, I'm on the Australian Sports Commission board, and we deal with Olympic athletes and high and and top level athletes all the time. And the hardest thing for them is to integrate into a normal life because whether we like it or not, bills have to be paid. You know, you have to have a roof over your head. You got to care for your loved ones. You have to. You know, you've got to be able to get from A to B. You need a normal job when you're not doing that other stuff just to take care of those normal things. So for us, we are at our best when we're outside of the normal life and we're, we're there competing. But when we have to come back to it, that takes a certain strength as well. And, and this is why it's great for your listeners and, uh, and, and for your viewers to be able to hear these stories and see, see this stuff because elite athletes still have to be ordinary people as well and it's just as hard for an elite athlete to be an ordinary person and go about the mundane things of life as it is for an ordinary person that's used to the mundane things of life to step up to the plate and be elite at whatever it is that their challenge is in life at that particular time and that's why that's the synergy between us both and once we, we do more of this stuff and we relate more to them and they relate more to us, then we bring more people into the champion's realm. Uh, going back to, to the thing we were talking about and on that same topic, so what, how old were your kids when, when, uh, when well you had to raise them by, by well yourself? My, 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 wife, my wife, life, life was, was pretty good, you know, I was working, I was, I was working part-time in the landscape construction trade uh, and um, you know, trying to make ends meet so that I could go off and do my next race. And my next race was the run around Australia for our Centenary Federation. So I was planning all of that. And then I just got a call from the police that said to me one day, um, Pat, where are you? And I said, I'm at Taramara. I'm working on a job at Taramara. And they said, this is Camden Police Station and we're the detectives from there. Um, we're coming to see you. Can you please um, uh, just wait at the train station there for Just stand at the train station wait there for us. And we'll be there soon. I said, why, what's it about? What's, what's going on? And they said, look, we can't tell you, we'll be there soon. And that was the most agonizing next two from hours. So they were ringing you from? From Campbelltown. And you were in Taramara. Because what had happened was my wife had, uh, was driving along Camden Valley Way. Her, she pulled the car outside the road and she bumped into a steel fence that was there, but only just a small little bump. So it wasn't enough to cause a, a death. Uh, and yet she was, and yet she had died. And, what the autopsy showed at a later date was the valve, she had a mitral valve prolapse, so she had a heart murmur, uh, and which meant that the valve in the top of her heart just didn't sit straight all the time. And I used to put my he head on her chest and I could hear the blood flushing back out of her valve in her heart, and she was always gonna get something done about it, but the doctors advised not until later on in life, not until uh, you get older because you don't need this operation yet. 
anyway, she never got the chance to have the operation because um, at uh, the age of 30, this, this she was, she, she'd only just dropped the kids off at childcare. Brooke was two years old and Dylan was 10 months old at Minto Childcare and she was, she was driving because we were working hard to try and make ends meet. So even though it was only a short period of time, she was straight back. She was just starting back at work for the first week back at work. And she was working at MacArthur um, Credit Union. She's driving down Camden Valley Road, pulled the car over the side of the road, bumped into this fence and just died. As simple as that. And uh, so my life changed from that, from the moment the police came to Taramara railway station where I was waiting for them and they sat me down in the back of the car and they told me and then they said, you, we need you to come and identify your wife, identify the body. And then I had to tell her father and her mother what had happened. <coughs> then I had to pick up my kids from childcare and somehow I get a message through to them over the, f the next few days, weeks and months and years that their mum was never coming home again and that this was our life now. And, and um, that was very, 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 very difficult to do and my wife was a very, very sensible person, very organised and like most of, most of our blokes, you know, I just got on with doing what I do and, and <coughs> worried about just trying to bring some coin home and, and um, Lisa was organised so she took care of bills and everything else and running the house and everything and, and so all of a sudden I had to step up to the plate as far as being a mum and a dad was concerned which makes me have a great appreciation for what women go through what mothers go through because I had to do both jobs uh, and you know f some funny stories come out of all of that sort of scenario like I remember taking my daughter to swim lessons at, down there at the pool at, um, at, at Minto and um, put her in the pool and uh, sorry at Eagle Bar put her in the pool for swim lessons and I and and all of a sudden she sunk to the bottom of the the bottom of the, the floor of the pool while I was busy listening to the instructors and all the other mums around there with their kids, and then I looked down there and I, I dive down the bottom. I grab Brooke and I get her out and she's coughing and spluttering and all sorts of things. I'd left her nappy on her because uh, um, I have these <laughs> disposable nappies and it filled it's up with water and it weighed about a ton and it went straight to the bottom. So that was a no-no, uh, <laughs> which I you know, learnt the hard way. So that together with uh, realizing that. Fish fingers is not a staple food to cook kids. Uh, that was Isn't another it? thing I learned. <laughs> that was another lesson I learned, you know. So uh, anyway, so I learned the journey of how to be a good parent. But at the same time, I, I still pursued this passion with my running. So how that meant I dragged like how, how were you So the kids came with me everywhere, wherever in the world I was running, uh, whether it be in America or uh, China, Vietnam, wherever, the kids came with me and my mum my mum stepped up to the plate and uh, my mum would come away and, and care for my children at a hotel wherever it was while I was while I was doing the runs. And I remember I did a run in China up this mountain over there and I won the race up this mountain about once a year. And my mum was looking after the kids uh, um, while I was running up this mountain and of course some um, my children, they really wanted this. They saw an ice cream vending machine. They really wanted this ice cream more than anything. So um, I got them an ice cream thing, and it was just normal vanilla ice cream. Turned out to be chickpea ice cream, which they didn't chickpea. like very it's much. Hummus. Chickpea, yeah, hummus. It's, it's hummus. hummus ice cream. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Hummus ice cream. And 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 then I won this race, so the mayor wanted to put on a big a big uh, feast for us. 
and we were in outback china and this was years ago <laughs> so this feast turned out to be soft shell tortoise with chopsticks in the back of the tortoise shell which my kids freaked out when they saw yeah. scorpions on a bed of rice did you like tortoise uh no I did didn't. you like scorpions <laughs> i didn't know they're like fried cockroaches uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and no i haven't tried fried cockroaches but i'd imagine that's what they yeah. taste like so but it was, but it was an interesting experience for my kids and for me uh, to know and understand what things are like in other parts of the world. So you know, we've all grown, and that that's been literally been my journey. Is I've I've seen other cultures, met other interesting people, and all of this has come from sport. So you know, as you would testify, and uh, you know, I say to kids, if you've got a talent, if you've got an ability, take it to the nth degree. It doesn't matter if it's playing marbles. You know, whatever it is, just be the best at it. And who knows, somebody might pay for you to see the world as a result of you being so good with that, with that skill. And, you know, I, I'm originally a motor mechanic by trade, so to be able to see these things, do these things, visit these places, meet with kings and queens, and then that being an entree on into a political career, meet with prime ministers and presidents, I mean, that's all come from sport, and that's all come from running, and it's all come from being inspired by one little old man who ran past where I worked as a motor mechanic many years ago, Cliff Young, in the first Sydney to Melbourne race, uh, and me just thinking to myself, well, if that little old guy can do that, maybe I can too. And, you know, I think that's, that's really what sport's all about. It's just having a dream and then pursuing it. And one of the things, like, the, when we spoke the other day, well, when I first met you, we were talking about, the, like, this actual program, like the Gracie program, and a lot of the times when we're when when you're discussing it with exactly what you said, like with people and sometimes hard people to draw that that line. They go, oh, well, "What are we, What are you going to do with doing jujitsu, with doing whatever?" But it's a it's really a conduit to travel, to work, to <coughs> meet new people, network, and to to do a whole bunch of other things. Um, and it's funny when you just listen to people. As people when 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 they when they meet you, they just or, or we meet you. So people go, oh, it's Pat Farmer, he's however old, and this is what he does. And you're like, no, no, this is the journey. This is where yeah. I started off. Yeah. I was a motor mechanic. And before I was a motor mechanic, I was uh, just a school kid. You yeah, know yeah, I mean? yeah. And, and not a very good one either. <laughs> so it was interesting. that Were you good at school? No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I, you know, I asked too many questions. And in those days, it, that wasn't a good thing. Now it is. Now, now it's appreciated. But in those days, it was seen as being insolent, you know. You keep asking me dumb questions all the time. Now, were you a naughty kid? Well, yeah, I suppose I was. Yeah, I mean, I was one of seven kids, and you had to, you know, you had to fight to get a decent feed at home. You know, so so I suppose I grew up with a bit of a competitive spirit. Just to well, where, where were you in the seven? Uh, in the middle. So I was a middle oh, child as well. So all I was types like, of messed up. Yeah. I was just completely yeah. missed out. Your middle, middle. Yeah, your, yeah. your brothers <laughs> and sisters did they? Were they athletes? Did what, what did they? No, do? they all went off and did their own thing. So I and that's that's the thing about this life is you know you don't have to be the same as everybody else. Everybody just does what they do to their best ability, and if we all do that, then we make a, an incredibly interesting world. And that's why we have so many sports, so many artists, so many uh, business leaders and you know so many interesting people but but there's one thing that brings us all together that's that will and determination to succeed what was the transition like for going into politics yeah weird because that looks like a rough and tumble world yeah yeah it really is it really is you know to have the grace to be you know 
I think there's a beautiful poem, it's called the If Poem, and I, I encourage anybody that's listening to this or sees this uh, um, to, to go and read that, read that poem. It's called, it's called the If Poem, and it's by Roger Kipling. And um, the If Poem, there's a bit in there where it says, if you can have your words, so the words that you speak, twisted and, and um, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Uh, quite often that's what politics is all about. So you say something with all the right intentions and somebody twists those words from the media or from the opposition or whatever, they twist those words and they make a trap out of, that, out of those words to trap you on something to try and get you. And th that's what life's, that happens in life to all of us. You don't have to be in politics for that to happen. It happens all the time. But you have to rise above that. And so you, you have all of these things happen to you, but still you endure that and you put up with that and you still press forward and you still be who you are. That's being a man. That's the sign of a man. Uh, you know, and when I say man, I mean the human race, women, men. But I think, I th I, 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 let me clarify that point because these days of women's sport, men's sport, women, you know, equal opportunity for women, equal opportunity for men, uh, um, the same amount of CEOs as women that need to be men and men and women and blah, 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 and all the rest of it. One thing I feel about that whole situation is just be who you are and just be the best at what you do. That's all you have to do. And part of being a man, like I run this program for a number of the high schools, it's called the men, uh, me, uh, Boys to Men program. And it's about helping boys understand what it means to be a man and to be a real man a real man it means standing up for women it means protecting girls protecting women it means being a gentleman it means caring for people it means all of these things but unfortunately a lot of these a lot of kids these days don't have a male figure in their life don't have a fatherly figure to give them a little bit of rough love and shake them up a little bit and say to them look this is what being a man is it's it's about falling over getting knocked over just dusting yourself off and getting back up again it's not you know crying like a baby and hoping that everybody will feel sorry for you or everybody will give you everything sometimes you have to fight for things and sometimes you have to fight for other people to protect them and care for them and look after them as well that's what the boys and men program is and that's all the sort of stuff that you get out of life's knocks I got it out of politics, I got it out of running, I got it out of being an athlete, I got it out of being one in seven kids, I got it out of my, my wife dying and having to raise my kids. So life teaches you all the way along if you're prepared to open up your mind and see the lessons that it's... What do your kids do? Are they runners? Are they just curious? No, they're not. They're not. Um, although they've got some ability... I just keep pushing into no, this no. and see if anyone else runs in that family. Yeah, no, they've got, they've got, they've definitely got some ability, but, but they don't, they purposely don't. In fact, um, my daughter Brooke sums it up very well. She says, like, she won't wear, let me wear an athletic shirt when I'm, if I'm going, if I'm having dinner with her, and Brooke's now 23. Um, she won't let me have an athletic shirt on or a or a shirt with my name on or something like that because I've got oodles of those sorts of things and, and this sort of stuff because she just wants me to be her dad. She wants me to come dinner and have time with her and just be her dad. She doesn't want other people coming up to us at the table and, 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 and wanting to interrupt and talk to us and things like that. And so I get that, you know, I understand what that's all about because being a dad is a gold medal performance as well and doing that job right it, it absolutely is and we undersell that and we undersell being a mum as well and be you know trying to be a parent trying to be a good parent and it's not an easy job and a lot of the time 
you know, you upset people, you upset yourself, you upset your kids, but you have to make boundaries and you have to do these things. And once again, it's the discipline of life, but all, all of these things make, is the sum total of who Pat Farmer the athlete is or who Pat Farmer, who Pat Farmer is. It's, it's the athlete, it's the mechanic, it's the, it's the motivated dad, it's the, it's the desperate dad, it's, the, it's, the, it's, it's everything. How desperate was that desperate dad prevalent in the time of you trying to run, look after your kids? Obviously looking like uh, just having lost your wife at that time as well. Like how, how bad did that get? Well, well, you've talked about desperation, like there's nothing, no, nothing more important to a father than being able to put food on the table or, or a roof over the, the, over the, the kids. So you realize you got to work. But sometimes, like as an athlete, sometimes the only tools we got is this human body that we've got with all its frailties and all its breakdowns and injuries and, and we haven't got as much oxygen in our lungs as we want. We haven't got this, and we, but we have to do with it. So that's when you dig deep and you find this determination that helps you still to win races, helps you still to finish the distance, helps you still to rise above all the knockbacks, all the falls, all the rejections for sponsorship, all the, all the problems, because you're not just fighting for yourself, you're fighting for your kids and you're fighting for your life. Uh, and, and, and we are fighting for our life, you know. It's, it's, like being, it's like being at the bottom of the ocean, like, or you, you just sitting on the sand and the waves are above you and you're starting to run out of air. You fight like anything to get that bit of oxygen. Well, life's like that, you know. To truly live, to truly live is a struggle every single day. It's a battle every single day. To make the decisions, what should I do, you know? Am I gonna get into trouble for doing this because uh, I'm trying to help somebody else out by doing that, you know? Or this or that, but but you make the decisions on a day-to-day -day basis, on a, a circumstance to circumstance basis, and the sum total is the end of your life, who you are, what you stood for, and the people you affected along the way. What was the craziest experience you've had in in, in an actual race? Uh, well, you can you can go. You don't have to do one. You can tell me a few. Yeah, I don't know. You know, like well, you know, I've come across you know, I come across a black bear that. That wasn't too happy with me when I was up in Canada. When I was running through Canada, yeah, and uh, we had a standoff there for a, what seemed like an eternity. It was probably about five minutes, but I'm sure five it was minutes was a standoff for sure a black bear. Is a long time. At least thirty minutes, and he was. I was trying to figure out whether he wanted to eat me or whether he w he just wanted to go on his way. And I suppose he figured out. He was trying to figure out whether I was there to shoot him or whether I wanted to just go on my way. And in the end. He went from stand-up position to fall back down position, and he walked. He continued going across the road. But, but how, how did that happen? You came around. Well, a what happened was, uh, yeah, I was running. I was in a remote part up near Radisson, up in Canada. Did you have someone with a gun or something part. that could? No, my support crew. Were, I'd sent them ahead five kilometres. I was I was chasing up to them because they were like my goal to get to, and then they'd have my food and drink ready for me. And what I'd have a quick sip as I ran past. Well, a quick sip of Gatorade or, or some coconut water or something like that, and a, you know, a few nuts or something, you know, whatever, depending on where I was going through and where I was at the time of day and all. Uh, and so they were ahead. So they were, they were. There was just nobody up there, and there was just me. And I and I came around this corner, and I noticed something outside of my eye, and I and it was this pine, uh, pine forest, and it was this bear, and he was just 
moving along towards the road that I was running along and then he came up on the road and as soon as he saw me I stopped and, and he stopped and he just stood up and uh, they do that because they want to show they're bigger than you to scare you and it certainly worked a treat. It was perfect. How, how big how big is a black bear like well, that? Well when they stand up mate they're about they're a hell of a lot bigger than me. So they're, they're, they're a hell of a lot bigger than me. And uh, and he just looked at me and I, and I remember all these things going through my head, you know, about bear grills, you know, do I climb a tree? <laughs> do I do I run? Do I lie on the ground? Do I play dead, you know? And 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 because I remember watching Bear Grylls one time, and he said, you know, if it's a if it's a grizzly bear, you climb a tree. If it's a brown bear, you you, you know you, you run or something. If it's a black bear, you lie on the ground, play dead, and he'll just move you around a bit, and that's that. But I I got mixed up. I didn't know where. I didn't know whether this was a grizzly bear, a black bear, or a brown bear. They're not or all whatever. bears, like not all black bears. They don't all look the same color. No, no, yeah, they're not all the same. It turned out he was a black bear, but uh, but uh, look, at, in the, at the moment, I didn't know what the hell I was dealing with, and I, I I was just frozen solid, and I didn't know whether to run or what. I would have eventually tried to run, but he would have caught me, and I would have, you know, who knows what would have happened. But oh, at 49 kilos, you would. But life, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but life just happens. Life just happens, you know. And and life just happens. And it was wasn't meant to be, you know. So um, he he just dropped down when he saw that I was no threat, and then he continued running across the road, and that was that. And I, I think about that a lot of situations where it's like uh, the bears one in particular, and um, like if 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 I were to come face to face with a bear much like yourself said got confused there is zero chance i would be able to recognize the different bears and yeah. i know for certain that a bear can climb a tree yeah. and i know for certain that if i play dead <laughs> you're dead i'm, I'm <laughs> dead i may as well just die so i'm gonna i'm gonna make my best bet to try to outrun anything that tries to kill me anything it'll anything. catch you but you know they're fast unless you get to go trying yeah i'm gonna go <laughs> trying and, and you know i've got, I got some pace right. i've got some pace on me well, over 40 meters, he might, if he doesn't want the kill, he, might, he won't chase me that very far. Yeah. But if he wants to kill that bad, playing dead isn't going to help. If he's willing to chase after me, he'll just... If you call your bar, would you, would you play dead then? I'll pull guard. <laughs> you pull guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Wolves? Did you encounter wolves? Yeah, yeah, saw wolves there. They're yeah, scary, yeah, though. Wolves. No, but they didn't chase it. Yeah, they're timid, aren't they? If they're coming after you, they're scared. <laughs> there was a wolf that had a little <coughs> couple of little cubs, and it was more interested in just protecting the cubs. So yeah, was, you know, this life, this world is an amazing thing. You know, I've seen, I've seen such incredible sights. Uh, such, I've been places where I've actually seen the curvature of the Earth. It's that, it's that clear because of the cloud mass above it. I've been to places, uh, deserts, you know, dry deserts, hot deserts. Uh, freezing cold deserts, so, you know, all, all of this, uh, and all because I decided that I would run, you know, all because that I decided that when somebody said to me, there's a chance, do you want to do this run, do you want to do this race or whatever, and I said yes, and I think that's it. A lot of people get opportunities come along their life, uh, and they don't take it, and they live on regret. Did you see the Northern Lights? No, I didn't. I didn't because you don't get the northern lights all the time. Yeah, it's only so many times. Yeah, yeah. So, and yet I've had other friends have been up in Canada and they've seen them. No, they haven't gone all the way up to the polar, um, the polar ice cap. So yeah. Like any, like in when you ran through Middle East, India, 
jungles and all that? Did you get like malaria, typhoid, any of that type of stuff? No, I was, right, I was pretty. Oh, yeah, you get a bit of dysentery and you bad, get, bad yeah. when you're running. Um, yeah, I've had. Yeah, I've been pretty sick sometimes, but um, not enough that's ever stopped me from completing the journey or doing what I had to do on that on that particular day to be able to survive it. Yeah. H how do you get through that? Do you get uh, put on a drip? Yeah. Well, I have. Well, the run in India, I got put on a drip. Yes, that's true. Um, I, I, it was funny because I was running 80 kilometres a day. There's nothing funny about that. I was running 80 <laughs> kilometres a day and then I, it was, my schedule was all worked out for the whole journey, for two months of this journey before I'd, before I'd started. So where I would speak at, the schools I would speak at, and there was literally thousands of people running, would run with me, uh, which drove me crazy and created all sorts of traffic hazards and problems. But, but, um, there were schools I had to speak and this one particular day where um, you know I was feeling really uh, worn out tired dehydrated it was only in the second week of the of the journey and so I was still still acclimatizing uh, and I was just way behind schedule and I had to be at this school so um, the police said you know you've got to be at the school and blah 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 and they got 2,000 students there that want to talk to you want to meet with you and and so we put the cones out on the side of the road and I went and I spoke to, so we got into the police vehicles and they drove me up the road and I went and spoke to the school kids and I was halfway through speaking with them and I fainted, I just collapsed and I was really severely dehydrated so they took me straight to the hospital, put me on a drip for the next hour and then um, I got off the drip and went back to the road and where I'd left the road and continued on from that point to get the kilometres done for that day so that I could I could st still be on schedule for the next day so that's the that's the so it was a race it was a, it was only my race but it was a race against myself to a large degree was there any times where whether it was by animal or man that you feared for your life or in a situation where you're like I might not get across this not really because I've never really not even I've been in situations where sometimes you've actually looked at death, but um, um, I've never, I've never been scared of dying, and I think that's that's one of my advantages is because I'm not scared of death, I'm not scared of dying. I realise it's a natural progression of, of of all of us that we we we're nothing, we're created, and then and then we die. You know, we we live and we die, uh, and because I accept that. Uh, two things matter to me what I do while I'm here on this earth while I am alive and then the second thing that that uh, I accept is that I will undoubtedly die one day uh, and so when that comes is not in my control and so when that happens it'll, it'll just happen but I, I I just get on with doing the job and if I, I'm not worried about it so I think if you can stare fear in the eye and and still plow ahead often you win more, more it's like somebody doing a parachute jump or something or somebody rock climbing or whatever uh, or even cl or climbing into the ring you know uh, if you if you let fear overtake you you have to have a healthy fear and understanding so that that helps you to be diligent and careful and protected but still if you let fear dominate your life, you'll never achieve anything. Did you ever reach a point like um, you know, like the the movie Forrest Gump? Yeah. You seen that movie where where he just stops when he goes on that long run, and he, then he just stops and he goes, you know what, I'm I'm done I'm now. Done. Like I'm yeah, I'm sick. Worry. 
I've had enough. I've ran enough. Yeah, that's Did you ever reach that point? That's because, see, that movie Forrest Gump came out in 1994. I ran the Trans-American in 1993 and 1995. And I honestly reckon that uh, Steven Spielberg, the Trans-American race was a famous race over there in the States. And I honestly reckon he got his inspiration for that part of the film from the Trans-American mm. foot race. Anyway, uh, that aside, uh, um, I don't get feel like Forrest did because Forrest didn't have that goal to aim for. He was just running because he just needed to get out there and clear his head. He just needed to run because he just needed to get rid of the the voices in his head. But um, I've always run to a. I'm running to a point. So even though that point's a long way away, it is still my finish line. So and it's just as prevalent, just as real as a hundred meter race or an Olympic 400 meter race. You know, it's it's just as there, even though it may be weeks, months away from where I've started. Mm. So that's the difference, yeah, having the finish line. In in the times that you said that you did face death, which, was it the bear the worst one or was it? Um, well, the, yeah, the, the bear, the bear was, a mo was certainly a moment. There was other, there was another time, there was another time in, in Nicaragua where I was chased by some guys with machetes uh, um, and my police, my, um, police escort wasn't with me, uh, it was late in the evening and uh, unfortunately that part of the world on a Sunday uh, the guys drink this homemade brew over there and they drink it to a state where they, they end up comatosed and they just, you'll see these people lying in the middle of the road and all over the place, you think they're dead, they're just, they're just so comatosed from over drinking and a lot of the women lock themselves away on it, uh, you know, lock themselves away because they, the guys are just going mad and it's a, a crazy part of the world or it was at that point in time and it was just weird you know so so yeah the, I got chased by these these four or five guys that had machetes uh, I came in I came into a crowd and and they they just sort of jostled me a bit and um, once again my crew was ahead at the finish for that day's journey and the police escort had left me just prior to that because it was starting to get late uh, and um, uh, anyway the, I ran into where this crowd was as I was on my pathway and and these guys started jostling me and pushing me around a bit and, uh, and everybody carries machetes over there because they use machetes to cut their way through this jungle on either side of the road so everybody's just got a machete it's just like carrying a, a you know a leatherman for them and and so consequently you know I kept running. They started chasing me, and and they had these machetes. And luckily for me, they were they they weren't as fast as I was. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's moments like that. I don't know. Different things happen in your life. Yeah, I get hit. I was going through Mexico, and um, semi trailer smashed into my support vehicle, which was right behind me. Uh, he started waving all over the road. Came over the crest of the hill. We had a police escort behind that. Another police escort in front of me. And he saw the flashing lights and he's hit the anchors and the, the trailer's gone sideways and it's smashed in my support vehicle. And then the whole truck's just toppled and I saw this truck sliding towards me and I could still see all the gravel and everything coming up off the road and I've dived off the side of the road. And, and sometimes it's cliff face and sometimes it's a ditch but it turned out to be just a ditch, the thorn bushes and all the rest of it. So I dived into there and the truck went, the, the, the cabinet, the truck slid straight over the top of me and just kept on going for another 20 or 30 meters 
uh, and I was lying down there not, and for a moment I thought I must, I must be dead you know and then uh, and then I sort of opened my eyes and I was just cut to pieces from from the fallen uh, like jumping over the edge and all the thorn bushes and everything and um, my crew got out of the vehicle and the side of the vehicle was all smashed up and uh, nobody died you know even the driver of the truck climbed out of the thing and uh, you know everybody was okay and we progressed on after that just continued oh, on. Lucky situation. Yeah, yeah. Fortunate accident. Yeah I think I sort of continued on because I was uh, I was in shock a bit too you know and the running helped me get through that mm. shock. So the support vehicle couldn't get through, none of the vehicles could get past it, the truck was blocking both sides of the road then so um, my, one of my crew members Katie grabbed a push bike out of the back and she grabbed a backpack and put some food and drinks in there. She got went on the other side of the truck and she made her way around to the other side of the truck and then we just kept going you know it's funny why not yeah well you know it was a race against time the whole yeah. journey so yeah crazy crazy life crazy yeah. adventures it sounds crazy like a things, very but crazy uh, story yeah but journey you know, i should just, say well mexico is an unusual place you yeah. know nicaragua is an unusual place costa rica is an unusual place the darren jungle is unusual colombia is an unusual place you know but i've been blessed to see these places and like i said you know not just there but the cedars of Lebanon, um, Tripoli in Lebanon, uh, you know, through the deserts of Israel, uh, so many wonderful places on this earth. So much of a world for people to get out there mm. and see and be a part of and explore. And that's why we should stop this bigness and have a great understanding of the people that we share the world with and that and get and get out there and become part of it. And mm. don't worry about the fact that you can't speak the language. You know, there's one universal thing and that is uh, humanity. So you just get out there and just explore, and people will, people will welcome you. Um, we won't keep you too much longer. We really appreciate your time, but I just want to ask, look, what, what what have you got coming up next? What what are the big projects have you got coming up? Um, just you were just part of the recently of the election now. Um, mm. You got any races you're doing? Wh what's happening? Uh, yeah, I've been I've been asked to contemplate and try and put together some other runs through the Middle East, some other countries in the Middle East, and try and. Uh, you know, believe it or not, for a restaurateur who's looking at launching a, a new chain of restaurants and looking at launching uh, some Middle Eastern cuisine with these restaurants and he figured a great way to launch it would be if I was the thread running through these places and highlighting these places through the media to Australia and then we had a chef at the end of the day that was preparing my meals with the local cuisine uh, you know and so yeah I'm up, I'm up for anything and everything, you know. So it's we might be we might be doing that down towards the end of the year. So what, what's I'm a discussion? Can you discuss the moment. the restaurant chain or anything like that? Yeah, uh, not, not at yet, not at this stage. You, you had me at cuisine. What's yeah. that? You had me at cuisine. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, <laughs> well you know, because uh, Lebanese food, Middle Eastern food is very, very healthy. You know, like they start off most dishes with cut carrots and hummus and. Uh, yeah, and and uh, tabbouleh and you know things like this are very very healthy food and uh, you know very good for you. So um, you know so a restaurant like that would go down a treat with a lot of athletes, uh, you know gym junkies and people like that. You know so instead of the cheat food being sushi, you know it would be this. Okay. Yeah. Running not so much the food. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm in. The food yeah, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And anything else you got coming up? Uh, yeah, so I'm looking at that, and then um, nah, life. Like I said, life's a journey. We'll just see what door opens up next. Um, I never know what's going to happen from one week to the next. So, 
So, you know, you, you guys came into my life just last week and I've had the chance to be able to see what Grange TV does and, what, and also what uh, Gracie does and see what you guys are all about. And I'm very impressed with the program that you run for Indigenous kids and the opportunities that you, you, you know, you're given, you're given not just kids, but you're given Indigenous people. So, um, yeah, I think it's fantastic, really fantastic, really fantastic. And being able to coach people to be, to be trainers themselves, to be mentors and trainers and coaches themselves, I mean, that has a knock-on effect, a ripple effect that, that would influence a lot of people. So, yeah, so I was, I was just as keen as you guys were to catch up today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so much for, for sharing your stories and your journey, and I really do appreciate it. I've learned a lot. And just it was great to listen to. No worries. Was. you got to let me sit ringside one day. Yes, sir. We can do definitely. that. Okay. We, we can, can make it happen. Thank you. Yeah. Thank Cheers. you so much. Thanks a lot. Pleasure. Thank you.